This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. A year ago, right-wing groups and pro-Trump supporters attacked the U.S. Capitol in hopes of overturning the 2020 presidential election. Soon after the insurrection, we knew the Internet played a big role in how it was planned. But now the pro-Trump Internet is splintering. Our next guest has been monitoring that space and says right-wing influencers and QAnon supporters are turning on one another. It's a story of restless audiences, misinformation, and money. Washington Post technology reporter Drew Harwell has been taking a close look at what various right-wing groups have been up to on the Internet since January 6th. And he joins us now. Hey, Drew. Hey, thanks for having me. Can you give us the lay of the land here? What are some of the major groups or or factions of the so-called pro-Trump Internet that you've been monitoring? Yeah. So, you know, you have your kind of mainstream Trump supporter, but you also have these diehards of the QAnon conspiracy theory as anti-vax people. You have, uh, you know, people who feel like they're very supportive of the Stop the Steal movement and feel like Trump was wronged and being, you know, kicked out of office. And so all of these factions that used to be very much in allegiance with each other are now kind of at each other's throats in a way that we haven't really seen. And all of these big, most, you know, more prominent um, Trump influencers online are just waging these really personal attacks against each other. And it's just you know, getting more bitter by the day. I understand that the infighting that we're seeing now has a local connection with the Chicago area. What does the story of Kyle Rittenhouse and his recent trial have to do with the divisions among some of the groups? Yeah, so he, his case actually kicked off a lot of this um, frustration. His former attorney was Lynn Wood, who's, you know, this big firebrand on the right, who's very pro Stop the Steal. Kyle Rittenhouse went on Fox News and told Tucker Carlson that Lynn Wood had been kind of raising money by keeping Kyle in prison and sort of fundraising off of his woe and not really kind of bailing him out sooner. And at that point, there became this big schism where Lynn Wood was saying, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse was lying about him. And a lot of people who were very sort of supportive of, of Kyle Rittenhouse were saying that Lynn Wood had done wrong. And so all these people who had been, um, you know, very kind of supportive of each other before were now, you know, going on Telegram and Gab and Twitter and and saying, well, actually, this was very revealing of how, you know, the other side, the other faction was really just in it for the money and that this was all kind of a big, uh, as they call it, P-A-Y patriot. Mm -hmm. This is all sort of a patriotic movement for them. So that really kind of kicked off a big part of the infighting and it's only gotten worse. Is that what you meant by your quote? Uh, the infighting reflects the diminishing financial rewards for the merchants of right-wing disinformation. Yeah, it really has, because, you know, that was a symbol of, you know, there's a lot of money that was going to Kyle Rittenhouse, and there were all of these, you know, GoFundMe pages and and uh, fundraising movements uh, that were collecting this money, but then everybody was starting to sort of try and claw it back or saying that, well, the money that Linwood raised was improper, we should really spend it in a different way. And so, you know, at the root of this all was money and the feeling that um, the, there were grifters among our cause who weren't just fighting the good fight like we were, right? They were, they were just out for the cold, hard cash. And you've seen that pressure really pick up in the last couple months, too, where, you know, the Stop the Steal people who have been 
waging all of these failing legal battles are now having to, you know, uh, pay up these legal bills. Um, there's companies like Dominion, which was making sort of these voting machines that are now suing some people, um, like Sidney Powell, who's big and stopped this deal, say, saying this was all sort of a big hoax that she was pushing. So there's sort of pressure to um, pay these coming dues, and there's frustration about the money that they are having to sort of fight over. How did those groups rely on social media and the Internet during Trump's presidency to garner support? Social media was everything for them. I mean, this was not necessarily like a geographically centered movement for a lot of them. Social media was how they recruited new followers. It was how they kept up the narrative. It was how they got all of their energy. I mean, this has really been an Internet movement through and through. And, you know, Trump was really the figurehead for so long. He was tweeting 20 times a day, right? I mean, he had 80 million followers or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so for him to lose his Twitter after the January six riots and, you know, leave the White House for Mar-a-Lago, it really sort of opened up this power vacuum where now there were all of these voices online and no real sense of who was the, the, the new leader to follow now. What would you say are the major differences between how right-wing groups were using the Internet during his administration versus now? Um, that's a great question. You know, I think we're seeing that uh, a lot of these fights are becoming like the main driver. Uh, you know, before it was uh, a lot of uh, support for Trump and really sort of pushing his policies, whatever he was sort of promoting in the White House, that was kind of the main uh, the main focus of energy on social media. Um, and now you have, you know, a lot of people who are very sort of um, – uh, they're diminishing uh, President Biden or they're anti-vax or whatever. But a lot of these, you know, conflicts are really like the the driver. And so, you know, some of the researchers I've talked to have said, like, it's all pro wrestling now. It's all online drama. Like, this conflict is what people tune in for. They want to see, okay, how is my guy doing today? Does they get any good hits in? You know, is the, is the fight really turning in their favor? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's interesting to see that influencer culture go from, like, a political sort of doctrine debate to more just, you know, the same kind of um, fighting that you could find anywhere else. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we are talking with Drew Harwell, a Washington Post technology reporter, about why right-wing groups and QAnon supporters are battling over Internet fame and online audiences and followers. Coming up in about five minutes, we're going to talk to one of the co-founders of a new nonprofit initiative. It's highlighting local businesses that give back to the community. So stay tuned. Uh, Drew, you spoke with Mike Rothschild, a conspiracy theory researcher and author of a, a book on QAnon. What did he have to say about how these groups are fighting with each, with each other? You know, he was really big that um, this really is a character-driven melodrama now, right? You know, we think about influencers as being like, you know, fashionable models on Instagram or whatever. But these are really a a kind of influencer in the Trump world now. Like, these are people who have have a big personality. They have big followings. They're very um, dramatic in what they talk about. It's always sort of a battle of good versus evil. It's never really in the details. It's always, like, very big. And so his sort of, you know, finding from that and what's sort of getting the most attention in in these places online is really that – 
this has become like pro wrestling. Like this has become just uh, always sort of constantly in the Trump playbook of uh, attack, attack, attack. Mm. And so, you know, those battles are really sort of centered in this kind of constant tension over getting the attention of people online. Like I need the biggest following because of following I can sort of pivot into money, I can pivot into influence. And so, you know, what he has found is that all of these people who used to be really closely allied are now kind of fighting over um, a shrinking pie. And I think that's really instructive to sort of how we think about social media in a lot of spaces, not just politics, but like um, the way we everything ends up being sort of a, a, a battle over a diminishing kind of level of attention and, mm-hmm. and power. Well, to that end, what do you say then that we should take away from how they've been able to make the Internet work for them over the past few years? Yeah, and that's really the most interesting part, right? Like, what are the incentives that they are responding to and that that they're sort of finding with with their audience? And I think the real big part is that um, a lot of this comes from – Anger, you know, with with QAnon, like the whole thing was anger and fear and resentment about the other side, whether it was the deep state or the liberals or or the PAY patriots, the grifters who weren't, you know, really on your side. Um, anything that really drives us to be angry and to be fearful, that can lead us to fighting, fighting with ourselves, infighting. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, that, that's a big part of, of social media. What makes it so alluring in our lives is that it really hits that emotional core and keeps us clicking and scrolling and, and subscribing. And so, you know, it's not just QAnon. It's really a lot of what we spend our time on and our relationships on and our internet um, attentions on is what's really driving the biggest emotional response. And I think that's important to be aware of. So was it the recent fallout of of, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse and his trial that prompted your piece? Um, You know, it was really thinking a lot about that, just seeing a lot of the anger and also just thinking about January 6th. Like, what has happened in the last year? Is everybody still hunky-dory or, you know, is are are there some noticeable cracks? And, you know, you definitely see among this infighting, it's not just like, let's, you know, handshake over and let's get over it. You're really seeing some pretty foundational rifts here. And uh, I think that's interesting and, and maybe even instructive for, you know, as we get closer to 2024. Well, what do you think is next for these groups? What are you going to be paying attention to? Um, I'm going to be trying to understand, like, is this anger real? Like, is it, are these just sort of like um, fights to, to, you know, play out the melodrama of the week? Or are these factions really, like, here to stay? You know, with these, you know, with something like QAnon where it's all just a big hoax and, you know, all of the deadlines they've been setting themselves, we've, we've passed up. A lot of these people don't just sort of like awaken into reality, right? They, they find a new conspiracy theory. They find a new belief that, that drives them into a new cause. And you're seeing that with anti-vax and, and stop the steal, how they're just sort of morphing into to new waves of belief that help the people justify whatever they want to feel. And so I'm really curious sort of where that spins next and and how it affects, you know, our, our politics and our society and, and how we talk with each other. Drew Harwell reports on artificial intelligence for The Washington Post. Thank you, Drew. Yeah, thank you. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.